You guys been watching the, the uh, baseball playoffs? Pretty good, right? No Dodgers, Dodgers, guys. I, I hear a few of, you, few of you are fans out there, and uh, I'm looking at some of my Dodger fans. I'm a, I'm a Dodger fan from when I was a boy watching, watching them play as I was growing up. Oh, come on. All right, enough of that. Are you aware of all the superstitions that you can find in baseball? Quite a few, quite a few. Uh, Elliot Johnson used to play for the Atlanta Braves as a utility man. Well, he had this routine that he would do. He would put a piece of super bubble, grape-flavored bubble gum, it's hard for me to even say that, in his mouth as he ran out uh, onto the field for defense. And then when he would come back in and his team was batting, he would insert a piece of watermelon-flavored super bubble, bubble gum, because he said with absolute certainty that the hits were in the watermelon. The hits were in the watermelon. Is that not silly? But that's, that's what some of these guys are doing. Trevor Hoffman, a reliever for, San, for the San Diego Padres for about, uh, what, 16 years with the Padres. And he racked up 552 saves as a relief pitcher. The team's general manager, Kevin Towers, never saw any of those saves. He didn't see one of those saves because every time Hoffman would come out in a save situation, Towers would walk away from his seat, his, his, his actual suite, because he great record had nothing to do with that superstition, as you probably are too. Baseball is full of superstitions, as are many other sports. But here's just a few more that you might be aware of. Pitchers who don't shave the day that they're going to be pitching. Or how about players that don't step on the, on the foul lines as they go in and out of the field? Or perhaps the, the pitcher, when he's about to complete or when he's on his way to a no-hitter and nobody talks to him. That's a superstition. What superstitions are you all running with? Do you have some? You know, we, we tend to look past superstitions like, well, that's something of the past. That's trivial and it's harmless, right? Yet we still, we still hold on to them. And those superstitions can be a reflection it can be a reflection of where our faith is placed. And we need to check ourselves and ensure that our faith, faith is properly placed and that our actions reflect a properly placed faith. And that's your first point that you could write down on your notes. Be sure your faith is properly placed. Be sure your faith is properly placed. Our passage in 1 Samuel 4 has superstitions and idols right at the center of the story. And the actions of the Israelites display that their faith is not properly placed and their hearts are not with the Lord. Not at all. Israel goes out to battle against the Philistines and they suffer a significant defeat. And verse 3 gives their assessment of, of their loss. They ask in verse 3, why has the Lord defeated us before the Philistines? They clearly had this expectation that the Lord should be with them. But their greater concern should have been whether or not they were with God, not whether God was with them. This passage shows how far that they have strayed from God and how they have become strong in their self-sufficient attitude. They've gone out into battle with no apparent seeking of the Lord. We read nothing of them coming to the Lord in prayer. And let me pause here and ask you to consider that statement in your own life. We can attend Bible study here at, here at church. We can be here on the weekends and we can still be far from the Lord, can we not? And then we look at our spiritual activities and we wonder, why is God not with us? 
But we should be asking, am I in step with the Lord? Have I submitted my plans to the Lord? For Israel, this is consistent with where we've come from in the book of Judges. You know, Judges sitting right there before Samuel. And in Judges, we, we clearly see that the Israelites have drifted away from the Lord. And they're not following the Lord. The book of Judges gives us on two occasions this same phrase that's repeated. It says in verse 6 of Judges 17, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In fact, Judges ends with those very words. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's interesting how chapter 3 that we have just come out of, we see the establishment of the prophet Samuel as he's beginning as the prophet of the Lord. And the first sentence in our chapter 4 here seems to be a continuation of that proclamation about Samuel. But for the rest of this chapter, in fact, into the next two chapters, we will not see Samuel mentioned again. He will not be mentioned until chapter 7. And perhaps the author, author is pointing to the clear problem here with Israel. They are not seeking God. They're not seeking the Lord. Now, I can't speak definitively as to why the Lord handed that first defeat to the Israelites. But Leviticus 26.17 may be giving us a hint of why they may be losing this battle and losing other battles. It says, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all of these commandments... I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. But even after they suffer that first defeat in chapter 4, look what they do. They take things into their own hands. They still don't seem to turn back to the Lord and seek his direction. They take things into their own hands, and with no evidence of a humble heart and a submission in prayer, they make new plans and they march ahead with their plans. And in our scene, you can almost picture the bumper sticker on the back of their chariots. God is my co-pilot, right? God is my co-pilot. And hopefully you're hearing this message and you're checking yourself on that same thing. Is God your co-pilot? Or is God your pilot, your commander, your Lord? That's what it should be. For the Israelites, they're making their own plans. And in this case, they choose to treat the Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm. And they bring it into battle. Verse 3b tells us, they say, Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Notice, notice what they say here. Look at that closely. They're referring to the Ark and they say that it may come among us. They're looking to, for the it to give them power, for the ark to give them power, as if, it's, as if it's some good luck charm or idol. Now, there certainly was precedence for them to bring the ark into battle. We can look back at most notably at the conquering of Jericho, right? Conquering, conquering of Jericho in Joshua 6. But if we go back to that episode, there we see some very clear distinctions. First, the Lord gave very clear instructions to Joshua on what they were to do. There was no question about the fact that the Lord was with them, and he was clearly directing their paths. Second, in the conquest of Jericho, there was clear honor and holiness bestowed upon the ark. There was to be seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, 
before the ark. And then there was also a forward guard of armed men and a rear guard of armed men. But in our account, the Israelites are treating the ark like an object, like it has some magical powers and their hearts are far from God and they're certainly not treating the ark as holy as it is. In this way, Think about it. They're acting just like the pagan nations that surround them. They're using this, they're, the pagan nations are using gods like good, good luck charms, just like the Israelites are doing here. Look at the Philistines' response in verse 6 of chapter 4. And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. To the Philistines, the ark of the Lord was just like their god Dagon. And the only question was which god was stronger, theirs or ours. So it's easy for us to to look at this sin of Israel and to see it clearly. But there is a clear reason why God has written down these accounts. We need to be looking at these episodes and examining them and then comparing them to our own lives and examining what we're doing and how we may not fall into the same sin. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not very superstitious, and I don't worship idols, and, and, but you should stop and check yourself. Do you have any good luck charms that you're using? Do you have a certain routine that you follow when you're playing sports? Or maybe you have a certain routine or a certain set of clothing that you put on when you're about to close that big deal. We tend to minimize these things and not see them as a reflection of where we're placing our faith. Do we place our faith in luck or superstition? Where are you placing your faith? Is it in the Lord or maybe is it in yourself and your own power as you face challenges before you? Do you pull up your your belt and just go at it without even submitting to the Lord? The Israelites were reliant on their own means. And then when they suffered defeat, they turned to the the ark as an object that, that would be their savior. When you face these challenges... I want to encourage you to consider how you're facing the challenges of your own. Do you even go to the Lord in prayer? Do you go to the Lord in prayer, quite frankly, day by day, submitting your whole day before the Lord? That's what we should be doing. We should be wholly dependent upon the Lord, but our natural human bent is to do it on our own, is it not? Consider young children who are desperately in need of instruction and help. Yet how does the child try to work it out on their own strength? They might even get mad when you try to show them how to do something that they know nothing about. Or they say, no, 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 I'm going to do it my own way, Daddy. And that same tendency is at work in us. It is our sinful, prideful nature that is driving us to do that. Another area where we need to check ourselves is in the area of spiritual rituals. Spiritual rituals. Do you beef up on your spiritual routines as you're looking ahead to the possible promotion at work? Perhaps you start thinking, I better be sure I don't miss church. I need to go to men's Bible study this week. I don't want to jinx it. Is that how you're viewing it? Or do you put your stock in spiritual disciplines and think that you're right with God because you're attending every Sunday? Or you just got baptized, so therefore you must be saved because you got baptized. You best check your line of thinking on that. That is just like the Israelites taking the ark into battle and concluding that God was with them because of the actions that they were taking, because of this object they were bringing. God is interested in our hearts. 
Proverbs 21.2 says, every, man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Our heart needs to be in step with the Lord, not only trusting in Him, but also submitting to His plans, not ours. We've had a lot of sickness in our household with our kids. We have three kids, and as you probably know, it's a normal thing with sickness in, in the household with kids. You know, one gets, starts showing symptoms, and you go through a few days, and all of a sudden, you're into full-fledged sickness with that one. Well, the other one comes along, and two days after that, they're showing symptoms, and then two days later, they're getting sick, and then the third one follows that same cycle, and pretty soon, you've been in sickness for two weeks. The other night, I was praying for my kids, asking the Lord to help them, to help them heal up, help them to get healthy and get well, help them to, I was saying, wake them up healthy in the morning tomorrow, much like I had been praying day after day, and nothing's happening. In fact, they're just getting sicker and sicker. And this is a simple prayer, and I'm definitely not suggesting that I shouldn't be praying this prayer. I should, and I should pray it with confidence in the Lord. But I was convicted because my expectations were not in step with the Lord. Therefore, I was getting impatient. I was tempted to ask, is the Lord really even hearing my prayer? But that's just wrong of me. Just because the Lord does not answer the way I want or in the timing that I want, it doesn't mean he's not listening, right? And this is frankly a simple, simple thing. But the principle is the same. Consider in a more weighty matter, those that, that lost loved ones in the shooting in Las Vegas. Or perhaps over the last day or two, those that have been affected by the fires, losing homes or even loved ones. The question in all of these is not, is the Lord with me? But am I with the Lord and am I trusting in him? And even though that can be difficult, that's where I need to be, placing my faith fully in him and trusting that he is in control and active in our lives. It is easy for us to fall into that trap of thinking that God is not active in our lives, thinking that maybe he doesn't hear our prayers or perhaps my requests are too small for him to address, but that's wrong. We need to know that God is in control and he is active in the daily details of our lives. And that brings us to point number two. Be convinced that God is active in our lives. Be convinced that God is active in our lives. Our account in 1 Samuel 4, 5, 4 and 5 clearly shows that, that shows that our God in full control. 1 Samuel 2, if we go back a two, uh, couple chapters, you remember we read at our last lesson about Eli's worthless sons. And we don't know how long they were carrying on with their evil dealings. It certainly seems like it went on for some time. And I would imagine the people would certainly have been asking, where is the Lord in this? I mean, this is great sin going, going on right in the midst of God's own priest. It would have been easy to ask, is the Lord really present and active? Of course, from our perspective, it's only a half chapter later that we read about God's judgment that's going to take place on Eli's house. But how long did that actually take? We don't really know. And how much time passes before that judgment on Eli's house comes to fruition in chapter 4? All that may have taken years. And when the Lord is taking years and he brings forth his plans in that long, drawn-out manner, we tend to think he's not involved and he doesn't really care. But that's just wrong. 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9 says, But do not look... Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, 
that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You see, God is not subject to our timetable. He is operating on his own timetable. Chapter 4 certainly displays our God in control and active. We open up with the first defeat of Israel against the Philistines. And even the Israelites know that the Lord is in control with their question, why has the Lord defeated us today? And even when we are taking things into our own hands like the Israelites did, and we start running with our plan apart from the Lord, the Lord is still in control. The Israelites come up with this brilliant plan to bring the ark into battle, and that'll solve everything. And even the Philistines think, surely we are doomed. But God can even let the impossible happen, the ark to be captured and still carry out his plan, right? We see it as this unfolds. And this, of course, is easy for us to see as we read this short account. But imagine if you were in that time frame watching this all take place. When the ark is captured and Israel is defeated and the people surely must have thought God had left them. It would have been difficult for us to convince them otherwise. But of course, we know the rest of the story. And we know he is in control. What about in our own lives though? When we are in crisis and we are at a crossroads, can we trust that God is involved and in control? I want you to look at this episode in 1 Samuel and, and frankly throughout the Bible and be convinced that God is in control and he is continually active in our lives. Make that a point to be marking that as you go through the Bible. Consider the book of Job. Job's life is ravaged, yet Satan can do nothing to Job without God's approval. Consider Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. You're very familiar with this passage. Jesus is speaking of the sparrows and their worth. And he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not much, right? Sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. So when we're in the midst of those challenges, not sure which way to turn, be sure to turn to the Lord, first of all, in prayer, submitting your plans to him. Look for his direction. Don't take things into your own hands and try to solve it on your own might, like the Israelites with the ark. But instead, wait upon the Lord and understand that the path of the Lord, the path that the Lord may take you down may not be even close to what you have in mind. The Israelites probably could not have imagined the outcome for God's plan for them. But God was carrying out his plan. We see God's judgment on Eli's family. And then we see also this great loss that God had given them was setting the stage for a better plan where he was raising up for himself a faithful priest, Samuel, who would do according to what was in God's heart and what was in God's mind. Samuel will appear again in chapter 7 and begin to judge Israel faithfully. And even as the Philistines carry the ark off, surely thinking that they had defeated the Lord, God was still active and in control. We read this amusing scene in, in uh, 1 Samuel 5 where they brought the ark of God into the temple of Dagon. And they set it up beside Dagon. And the next day, Dagon's face down on the floor before the, before the ark of God. The Philistines have to pick up their God off the floor and put him back in, in place. Consider the irony there. 
And the next morning, of course, Dagon is back on his face on the ground. And this time his head has been cut off and his, and his hands have been cut off. And in, in the ancient culture, severed hands and severed heads were, um, were something you would take as a prized possession in battle. So God has clearly defeated Dagon. And of course, it doesn't end there. The Philistines are afflicted with tumors and, and they're frankly terrified of the ark and rightly so. But consider this, the ark of the Lord, a treasured possession of Israel. And any type of treasured possession like that, the nation that lost it would be strategizing and spending their resources to win that treasure back. But in our story, where God is in full control and is active in the everyday lives of his people, the Israelites do not have to do anything to gain back the ark. No, the Lord simply engineers it so that the Philistines not only bring the ark back, but they send it back with a guilt offering. I just love God's humor there. God does not need us to carry out his plans, does he? I don't know where, what you're facing today. You might be at those crossroads with difficult challenges in your life. Or maybe things are going just great, but I can assure you trials are right down the road. And it really doesn't matter because our response to me needs to be the same, whatever is ahead. You need to be convinced that God is active in your life and that he is in full control because that is the truth. And you need an earnest reliance on the Lord. Be sure your faith is properly placed in the Lord and be convinced that God is active in your life. Whether you're at that crossroads or not, now is the time for you to be checking yourself and building your faith to make sure your step is in heart with it, your heart is in step with the Lord. As you read through your daily Bible reading, which I hope you're doing, as you study God's word here in men's Bible study, as I hope you're doing, keep a diligent eye out for where you see God showing his active involvement. Mark it on a paper. Take notes so you can go back and refer to it and become convinced that he is trustworthy, trustworthy to turn to. And as you do this step by step, your faith will be strengthened and you will be properly aligned with the Lord and better able to face whatever challenges come your way. Would you pray with me? Father, I praise you and I thank you for tonight, for this lesson and all the lessons that you put into your word, these accounts of stories that are true accounts that document how you are active and alive in the lives of your people. And we ask that you would help us to remember that, to apply that, to put our trust in you, to make sure our faith is properly aligned and that our actions show that, Father. We just praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.